0: Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Vanguard. Good morning. Back when I wrote this message, I normally write messages uh, on one day, uh, but on the day that I wrote this message, my beloved bride was really, really sick. And so I had to be Mr. Uh, Carpool Dad and try to write the sermon, and then I was traveling to Kentucky, yes, the motherland. And so I didn't finish writing this sermon until I got to Kentucky, And that's where I read uh, a variety of things. And I want to read you what I wrote in my journal that morning. I'm in Kentucky at my dad's uh, with Journey Grace and my devotions this morning in Luke 9 as I read the story of Jesus. I have this thought. God the Father built a narrative of injustice into our lives. We talked about this last week. In order to fulfill his righteous purpose through us, Now, the text says it was necessary for the religious leaders to find Jesus guilty so that Jesus could be resurrected on the third day. We talked last week about the injustices of our lives and how God takes the injustices of our lives and he brings about his righteous purpose through us. Well, the great thing about Jesus is that he was perfect. The bad thing about us is that we're not, right? But the great thing about Jesus is that he invites us into his narrative, but in order to do that, he has to deal with the idols in our lives. And so this morning in my devotions, I want to read this to you, Genesis chapter 16. So Sarah said, So, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took her Egyptian maid Hagar, gave her to her husband. He slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. And Sarah told Abraham, It's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. Every one of us have idols in our lives. Now, what is an idol? An idol is something that gets in the way of the sincerity of our willingness to unabashedly and unabandonedly trust that God will do what he says he'll do. Now, I want you to forecast in your life, and I want you to think today about where in your life has God spoken to you, you know it was God, but you doubt it, you struggle to trust him. And, and along the way, you'll add things into that area of your life in order to endure the sorrow, the sadness, the, the aloneness, the disappointment, whatever it is. See, Sarah didn't really believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Well, by the way, Abraham did neither because he wouldn't have listened to Sarah. Sarah. And so both of them had lost hope and lost faith in what God had told them was going to happen. So much so that when the angel of the Lord came, I read this in my devotions as well, uh, the angel of the Lord said uh, to Abraham, and Sarah was listening from the tent, this time next year, your wife's going to have a baby. And she laughed. And God said, why'd you laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. She lied. She lied. And every one of us, if we're honest, are tempted to lie for the idols of our life when God begins to expose them. And what we're going to do today is that we're going to see how God shows us through the circumstances of our lives that we are far more dependent on this world than we're all willing to admit from time to time. And if you can admit it, if you can be honest about the things, then it is amazing how God can begin to loosen you from this earth and to begin to prepare you to be a person that lives for eternity. Amen? I've got three people that are sure this morning. I understand it's time change. I want to invite you today to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, and not that I'm looking for an award, but I want you to know that I preached four chapters last week in 27 minutes. I've never done that, all right? I was very proud of myself. I was even shocked uh, that I was able, I will not do that today, just so you know. But today we're going to talk about idle judgment before restoration. I want to encourage you to share the service. There's a lot of people that are watching for Bedside Baptist this morning uh, and invite them to join you in this service this morning. Look at Ezekiel 29. How does God loosen us from dependence on this world so that we can live for him? On January the 7th, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. During the 10th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, I want you to turn and face Egypt and prophesy against Pharaoh, the king, and all the people of Egypt. Now, I want to stop here just a second because I thought it was incredibly uh, coincidental, not really, that Genesis chapter 16, Sarah had a handmaid from where? Come on, say it. Egypt. So some of these idols, we don't give them up too easy, okay? Give them this message from the Solomon Lord. I'm your enemy. He's talking about Egypt. O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you great monster, lurking in the streams of the Nile, for you have said the Nile River is mine. I made it for myself. And I'll put hooks in your jaws and drag you out on the land with fish stinking to your scales. scales. All the people of Egypt will know that I'm the Lord. For to Israel you were just a staff made of reeds. When Israel leaned on you, you splintered and broke and stamped her in the armpit. When she put her weight on you, you collapsed and her legs gave way. Yesterday, I was doing some fencing, not this kind, but this kind, and uh, I turned, and when I did, uh, I jabbed a tree branch into this right ear, and Journey Grace walked up, and she's like, what's wrong with your ear? It was just pouring blood. It, it It looked a lot worse than it actually was, and then I read this this morning, and I go, oh, that's what that felt like when God stabs you in the ear or in the armpit. They were leaning on Egypt. Egypt was their security blanket. What is your security blanket? What is it in your life that that you feel anxious and then you think about something that makes you feel better about yourself? See, anytime you feel anxious, you should go to God, make your prayers and requests known to Him, not think about how you can soothe yourself. But you know as well as I do that we all run to drink and food and exercise and entertainment and activity, you name it, in order to make ourselves feel comfortable in the life that, quite frankly, we can't control, but we want to feel as though we can. So how does God judge our dependence on this world before restoring us to himself? Number one, he shows us our false sources of hope. He shows us our false sources of hope. Every one of us have these. I have these in my life. You have these in your life. So what is it in your life? Let me give you a little bit of a grocery list. Think about these. Money, medical doctors, jobs, other people's opinions, pleasures, privacy, control, stuff you own, places you get to go. People you know, degrees you've earned, opportunities you have others don't, secrets others don't know about you that make you feel in control and powerful in your life. What's your Egypt? Think about it. What is your Egypt? Now listen to this. God's coming for it. God's coming for your Egypt. He knows what your Egypt is. God knew that Abraham and Sarah's Egypt was Hagar. Listen to these words from the Message Bible. Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus said, Do you think I came to soothe things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. See, when God confronts you, you should go, wow, that doesn't feel good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse eight. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to bring an army against you, O Egypt, and I'm going to destroy both people and animals. Do you understand why God is coming against Egypt? Because his people were trusting in Egypt. God is going to come after your Egypt. What is your Egypt? He's going to come after it. Look at verse 11. For 40 years not a soul will pass that way, neither people nor animals. It will be completely uninhabited. But this is what the sovereign Lord also says at the end of 40 years. I'm going to bring the Egyptians home again from the nations to which they have been scattered. I'm going to restore the prosperity of Egypt. I'm going to bring its people back to the land of Pathros in southern Egypt and from which they came. But Egypt will remain an unimportant minor kingdom. It'll be the lowliest of all the nations, never again great enough to rise above its neighbors. By the way, that's true. Thousands of years later, that's still true. Verse 16. Israel will no longer be tempted to trust in Egypt for her help. Egypt's shattered condition will remain, remind Israel of how sinful she was to trust Egypt in earlier days. Israel will know that I'm the sovereign Lord. So how does God free us from dependence so that we can uh, worship him? Number two, he shows us our sinfulness for trusting in this world. Don't be angry at God when he gets your attention. Don't be angry at God when he exposes your dependence on this world. When God shows you, you ready? When God shows you who you are apart from him, believe him. Don't make excuses. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to pretend it's not there. When God shows you who you are, Apart from him, believe him, believe him, believe him. If God's taking things away, stop being angry and worship him for it. See, freedom comes, have you ever noticed this? You ever notice um, when you take away something from a two-year-old, what do they do? Oh, they throw a fit, don't they? Right? When God takes away things from you, what do you do? Do you worship? I was watching this uh, coach's wife last night during the championship game of one of the conference tournaments. And every time one of their players would shoot a foul shot, she would do this. And I thought, huh, it's interesting. It's It's, it's the universal posture for worship. It's the universal posture for surrender. It's the universal posture for the freedom that comes from letting go. Letting go. Trusting. So what is it in your life that God is taking from you and you're bitter about it? You're bitter about it. You're angry about it. You're frustrated about it. You're irritated about it. You have a low grade fever all the time because this is true of your life. And can you get to a point to where you say, "You know what? I don't like this." I accept it. I accept it. God shows us how he does this to Egypt. Look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar comes into play. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of Babylon, by the way. He'll carry off its wealth, plundering everything it has, so he can pay his army. See, God told Israel, I'm going to judge you with Babylon, and they are like, oh, then we're going to run to Egypt. And God says, I'm going to get rid of Egypt so that you have to face the judgment that is necessary to bring you back into real relationship with me. Look at verse 21. And the day will come when I'll cause the ancient glory of Israel to revive. See, whatever it is God is doing in your life right now that you don't like, it's so that he can bless you again. It's so that he can revive you again. It's so that he can bring you back to life again because you've wandered, you've drifted. We've wandered, we've drifted. He says, and then Ezekiel, your words will be respected and they'll know that I'm the Lord. Look at Ezekiel 30 verse one. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man prophesy. give this message for this is what the Lord says. All of Egypt's allies, all of them, that includes Israel, will fall and the pride of her power will end. Careful what team you pick based off of appearances because you will pick the wrong team. Don't pick the team that makes you feel secure in you. Don't pick the path. Don't make the choice that causes you to feel in control. Don't do that. In the details of your life, say, Lord, this makes me afraid. This makes me afraid. And here's what the Lord always says to me. Just fear me because what you fear fears me. What you fear Fears me, so just fear me and do what I've told you to do. No matter what it costs you, do what I've told you to do. Look at Matthew 20 16, the Message Bible. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last, and the last first. See, I'm the baby of the family, so it's encouraging, right? Because you get to the party late, right? You go, I feel like I've been left behind in my life. Great. You're going to be in the front of the line. That's what the Bible says. This is the great reversal. If you feel you've been left behind, if you feel you are behind, if you feel you've been left out, if you feel isolated, alone, God says, listen to me. That's part of my plan. Don't fight it. Trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. This is what the sovereign Lord says. By the power of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, I'm going to destroy the hordes of Egypt. Every instrument under the sovereign hand of God is his to choose to do what he will with it whether we believe in him or whether we don't. There's nothing you can look at in this world, both seen and unseen, that God's not sovereign over. And so you have to reestablish your allegiance to God Almighty in order to let go of what you think you have to hold on to to make you feel better about your life. So look at Romans 9.17, because... The New Testament affirms this. The scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. See, there's nobody that's going to breathe life on this planet that God is not going to get his glory from. It doesn't matter how you choose to live your life God will get the glory either through you or in spite of you, but he'll get it. He'll get it. And you can join him or you can resist him, but God is sovereign. Look at verse 20. On April 29th, during the 11th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man. I've broken the arm of Pharaoh. His arm has not been put in a cast so that it may heal. Neither has it been bound up with a splint to make it strong enough to hold a sword. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am the enemy of Pharaoh. I will break both of his arms, (laughs) the good arm, along with the broken one. And I'm going to make his sword clatter to the ground. I'm going to break both of his arms. Here's what the Lord is saying to us. What you are depending on, I'm getting ready to break. And I'm gonna break it in such a way that it is going to be obvious to you. And when I break it, you're gonna have to make a choice. You're gonna have to say, hey, I was depending on something I shouldn't have been depending on. Or you're gonna go deeper into the darkness. Of this life. So, principle number three how does he free us from dependence on this world? He shows us his authority over our false gods. He shows us his authority over our false gods. It doesn't matter what you do with your life, and it doesn't matter what God calls you to do with your life, there is no substitute for trust. So, God called Abraham and he said, Listen, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And of course, then he was not the father of a child. And what God tells us and what we have to trust him with, there is a wide gap between those two things. And God says, I'm going to do this. And Abraham's like, why don't you just do this? And see, you have to trust God with this and he'll do this. He's going to do the many nations thing through you. But you have to trust him specifically with what he said to you and not turn and try to fulfill it on your own accord. Look at Ezekiel 31. Now, on June 21st, during the 11th year of King Jehoachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give this message to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all his hordes. Now, what are hordes? I didn't say whore. I said hordes. Okay, I know it's early. It's a teeming crowd or a large, unorganized group. It's a teeming crowd or a large, unorganized group. It sounds like being a teenager, right? (laughs) See, there's nothing more fearful for a teenager than being left out. There's nothing more fearful for a teenager than being left out. I don't think Micah's in here this morning. It might be too early. Do you know what makes a great youth pastor? They don't mind being left out. Micah, are you here? Is that right? There, there you are. They don't mind being left out. There you are. I didn't see you in the hat there. And see, that's what makes you a great student pastor, Micah is that you're going to lead, you're out in front of the students, and you're leading them to follow Jesus. And if they leave you out because you're leading them, that's okay. That's the strength. And see, moms and dads, listen to me. We have a student pastor that's leading our children to Jesus, not leading them to be like him, not leading them to be whatever, leading them to be like Jesus. That's what I admire most about Micah. That's the kind of leader God wants each of us to be so much so that we're willing to be left out of the large unorganized crowd that doesn't even really know what they believe anyway look at verse 31 2 to whom would you compare your greatness You're like mighty Assyria, which was once like a cedar of Lebanon with beautiful branches that cast deep forest shade with its tops high among the clouds. Deep springs watered it and helped it to grow tall and luxuriant. The water flowed around it like a river streaming to all the trees nearby. This great tree towered high, higher than all the other trees around it. It prospered and grew long, thick branches because of all the water in its roots. The birds nested in its branches and its shade and all the wild animals gave birth. All the great nations of the world lived in its shadow. It was strong, beautiful, wide-springing, spreading branches, for its roots went deep into abundant water. No other cedar in the garden of God could rival it. No cypress had branches to equal it. No plain tree had bows uh, to compare. No tree in the garden of God came close to it in beauty because I made this tree so beautiful gave it such magnificent foliage. It was the envy of all the other trees of Eden. The garden of God. I want to stop there just a second. Friday night, my team lost. Uh, they didn't even win a game in our conference tournament, my Wildcats. And I was irritated, and they interviewed the coach of the opposing team, Jerry Stackhouse of Vanderbilt, and and he said, hey, I just want to start by giving glory to Jesus and saying that the only reason why we have these talents is because God Almighty gives them to us. All right. Okay. Anger over idolatry confessed. All right. Amen. You got some confession to do, Rand, as well. I could tell this morning. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because Egypt became proud and arrogant. See, our accomplishments in life should not, you ready? Our accomplishments in life should not make us prideful and arrogant. You say, what should they make us? Thankful. Right? But they make us arrogant and prideful. Look what I did. Instead of, look what God did through me. And see both failure and success God uses to get our attention. And there are going to be seasons when God is going to bless your life in such a successful way and the question will be who you'll give the glory to. And then there's going to be other times when you're going to fail miserably and God's working in you and you're going to, and you're going to have to say, who do I go to? Who do I depend on? Because it set itself high above others with its top reaching to the clouds, I'll hand it over, talking about Egypt, to a mighty nation that will destroy it. As its wickedness deserves, I've already discarded it. We all fall into this trap. Listen, God is saying, I sat Egypt above others. I've sat you above others. Are you going to give me glory for it or are you going to take credit for it? Luke 10, 17, we're not the only people that struggled with this. The original disciples did as well. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, you're not going to believe this. i got to tell you something. Okay, let's hear it. Even the demons obey us. We're shocked. We went out there and we're like, and they all ran. I mean, it's so funny. The demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice because you get to live with me forever. Amen? Uh Uh-oh, somebody's waking up. We don't rejoice because demons are subject to us, but that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Whenever I have demonic experiences in my life, people go, did it make you afraid? Well, of course it did. Of course it did. You say, well, what'd you do? I said to the Lord, you got to do something about this because greater is me, he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And whatever we come up against in this life, quite frankly, it's up to God. It's all up to God. Ezekiel 32. On March 3rd, during the 12th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me. Son of man, mourn for Pharaoh. Now, I love that phrase. We're going to come back to that phrase, but I want you to see that phrase. Give him this message. You think of yourself as a strong young lion among the nations, but are you really just a sea monster heaving around in your own rivers, stirring up mud with your own feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to send many people to catch you in my net. I'm going to haul you out of the water. On March 17th, or in the 12th year, another message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man, weep, mourn for the hordes of Egypt. For the other mighty nations, for I'm going to send them down to the world below in company with those who descend to the pit. And I'm going to say to them, Egypt, are you lovelier than the other nations? No. So go down to the pit and lie there among the outcasts. When Pharaoh and his entire army arrive, he's going to take comfort that he's not alone in having his hordes killed, says the sovereign Lord. Although I've caused his terror to fall upon all the living... Pharaoh and his hordes will lie there among the outcasts who were slaughtered by the sword. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So how does God free us from our dependence on this world? Number four, he tells us to mourn the judged we worshipped. This was a very convicting point to me. He tells us to mourn the judged we worshipped. Sometimes in the family of God, we pick another human being and we go, we don't say this out loud, they become our God. And as long as they walk with the Lord, we'll walk with the Lord. That's the example of an idol. When somebody in your life that you've looked up to, and by the way, I've had many in my lifetime, I've had many leaders in my lifetime that I've looked up to that God has had to judge. And I've had to realize, oh, I wasn't worshiping Jesus. I was worshiping them. And there are many things in life, like success, that if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of worshiping it instead of worshiping the God who did the success through us. It's very subtle. Idolatry is very subtle. Look at Isaiah forty-eight eleven. God has said, I will not give my glory to another. See, when God raises us up, and we get a platform, and people are looking at us, then the question is, who gets the glory? And whoever has a platform in the name of Jesus, he gives them opportunity to say, it ain't me, it's him. And if they don't, he removes them at his appointed time. God does not raise us up so we can feel better about ourselves. He raises us up so that we can declare his glory. You want to know who gave me all this? You want to know who's blessed me? You want to know whose strength this is? You want to know who deserves worship? His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. I deserve no glory. It all belongs to Jesus. Please don't give me God's glory. Give it to him, and then he'll give me my reward at his appointed day. I don't want to be shortchanged then because of now. Look at Peter's response, Acts 10, 25. As Peter had entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I love this. This Peter that I'll never deny you, Jesus. No, get up. I'm just another dude like you. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together, went inside where many others were assembled. Do you know what the most fearful thing for a lot of pastors are? Is that people will get around them and realize you're just like everybody else. Do you know the number one question I get asked at parties? What's wrong? Nothing this is who I am. I don't know what to tell you. What's wrong? Nothing. This is who I am. Egypt took credit for saving Israel. In 26 years, we've seen 3,336 people make a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ and follow them in believers baptism all to the glory of Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's it. This is all for his glory. When God judges something or or he's, someone asked, did, did you judge it because it was worshipped more than because we worshiped it more than we worshiped you? There are going to be moments. And we've seen it and we're going to see it. There's going to be moments when people who claim the name of Jesus are going to have to be judged for their idolatry. That should never negate your faith. It should sober you that we can't walk close enough with God to take credit for his glory. Never. And people who walk closer to God, I'm not talking about false humility, I'm talking about people who walk closer to God, they'll be like John. Not John Ellsbury, though I would say this is true of you too, John. John the Baptist. Less of me more of him, more of him, more of him. But listen to me. There can't be more of Jesus in you if you're going to white knuckle the idols of your life. And there's going to be a battle to open your hands and trust him with what he's asking you to let go of. And you have to identify the Egypt of your life. You have to identify. Listen to these closing words. When Pharaoh and his entire army arrive, he'll take comfort that he's not alone in having his hordes killed, says the Sovereign Lord. Although I've caused his terror to fall upon all the living, Pharaoh and his hordes will lie there among the outcasts who are slaughtered by the sword. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. God judged Egypt. Because his people refused to see him as their source of blessing. What in your life will God have to judge in order to get your attention? It doesn't matter who signs your paycheck, it all comes from Almighty God. We turn and we declare his glory among those of this earth. Amen? Amen. We're two-thirds of the way through the book of Ezekiel now. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a beautiful book. I'm so grateful for Ezekiel. I'm so grateful for this one individual who thousands of years ago said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. No matter what it costs me. No matter how painful it is. No matter how dark it gets. No matter how confused I am. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. And I'll give the glory to you because you're the only one that's worthy of our praise and worship. That's it. That's it. That's it. God, help us as you pry out of our hands the things that stroke our egos and comfort our fearful spirits. Let us turn and declare to you, we trust you. You are the source of our existence. Forgive us God for our idolatry. In Jesus name we pray and all God's children said, Come on, all God's children said, amen, Jack. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.